This is the birthday of Rungpacha. The date is 17 June 1918. He was born in Bangor, a village in Ubon, Rajatani in Northeast Thailand. <clears throat> and I wanted to have this opportunity just to reflect on this marvelous teacher that all of us respect and feel enormous gratitude toward. So I met Nong Chai in 1967. I was already ordained as a, as a bhikkhu. And in 1967 and met Nong after I was ordained. And I was looking for a meditation teacher and one who would be very strict in the Vinaya because I had this kind of insight previously uh, that I needed to learn how to humble myself to obey uh, a teacher, to learn to bow, to keep within the restraint of a traditional discipline because I could see my own nature was very uh, un, kind of uncontrollable, kind of always manipulated situations uh, in a personal way for my own benefit. And I realized this would be a great obstruction, uh, obstacle to enlightenment. And I had tremendous faith. I spent the previous year as a Samanera meditating on the Four Noble Truths. So upon meeting Rumpachar, I felt, uh, you know, this is truly a, a wise human being. And I felt immediate kind of respect for him, attraction to him, because he had a very ebullient personality. He was very welcoming. And even though he couldn't speak a word of English and I couldn't speak a word of Thai, uh, he seemed to understand me better than anyone else I'd ever met. And uh, in, in a much more intuitive way, rather than just through language discussions. There were two Thai monks at Wat Bapong at that time who were proficient in English language, so Rumpurta would invite me uh, quite often for tea in his kuti to exchange uh, our views and opinions about practice with these two, either of these two monks translating. So that's how I became a disciple of Lung Cha. He was, his way, the thing that attracted me most of all was he did keep a very high standard of Vinaya, which I wanted to learn because the previous monastery where I was staying didn't teach me anything about Vinaya, so I never knew how to be, how to how, how to conduct myself. And alone in my kuti, it was quite all right, but when I'd be invited to layman's homes or formal situations, I was completely at sea, not knowing what the proper forms of etiquette or expectations were. 
So with uh, training at Wat Pong, it was very, uh, you know, even though it was very strict, and I didn't always appreciate it, you know, go, you know, I went along with it, and in the long run, I'm very grateful for the kind of training I received that first year with Lumpur Chai and Uborn. His teaching was one based on reflection, on contemplating the Four Noble Truths. And this I was very interested in because in the previous year, as I've said before, I was very, con I was busy contemplating them myself. And so when I began to understand Thai, and then most of the time, Rungpo Cha would speak in a dialect of Northeast Thailand that was very different from the Thai that I'd learned, which was more like the central Thai dialect, the Bangkok dialect. But Rungpo Cha was very intuitive person. He seemed to pick up on all kinds of of just uh, physical signs, emotion, knew what emotions I was experiencing. And uh, I didn't have to confess or go to him about things because his advice was always welcomed and always appropriate. And one thing that I had insight before was in the the, the, of letting go of the causes of suffering, second noble truth. And so when I began to understand Lumpur Chao's days in us, he, uh, you know, I began to pick up on, you know, his, his emphasis on letting go. And that, that's how I always interpreted his main teaching. Now, different monks have different perspectives on Lumpur Chao's teaching, so I don't discredit that. But how I learned from him was mainly in let, letting go and seeing the, the suffering I create by my attachments to my opinions, views, my emotional habits. Uh, and during that first year when I was learning trying to study Thai language and and I'd have to sit through hours of Dhamma talks in in the Northeast Thai dialect. I you know, I had to experience all kinds of of emotional changes because at first, you know, I was quite willing to do it. I determined that this was good for me and that I needed to develop patience. So the kind of acceptance of it was very rational and very right. But the emotional realities I experienced were, you know, resistance, restlessness, boredom, anger, uh, all kinds of, you know, wanting to leave, thinking it's unfair, criticizing Lung Ho Cha in my mind, and Rinpoche always encouraged me to be aware of my mental states. 
He never asked me that how my mental state should be. You know, he didn't tell me that I should think in a certain way or, or uh, you know, he wasn't promoting that I should have a continuous respect for him, but to be aware of, of the actual emotional re reaction I was having towards the training, living in a very disciplined monastic community, having to deal with with uh, being the only Western monk at the time, uh, feeling lonely, frustrated, confused a lot, not knowing, understanding the, the language, not understanding the culture, and uh, just kind of fitting in as best I could, which often, you know, I felt rebellious or resistant toward. But the reason I, I particularly found this training valuable was Lumpur Cha's encouragement to observe what I was feeling. So this I could do. I couldn't help the feeling. I didn't, you know, I didn't choose to feel resistant or rebellious or negative. But these kind of emotions, boredom, incredible boredom, physical discomfort and and, you know, just happen. They don't, they're not intellectual choices or choices one personally makes, but they happen according to time and place and changing conditions. So this is how you learn. You, you learn to, to be the witness. You know, main emphasis to me on his method was very simple mantra Bhutto, the Buddha's name. And in Thai it comes out Puto, which, you know, in English we say Buddha, but in Thai, as I heard it in the Isan dialect, was Puto, which didn't have the same resonating quality as Buddha, but I began to not make a problem about it and use it because this is the, the witnessing position. It's not about just devotion to, to the great Buddha of the past or just a, a mantra that you use to, to quiet the, the monkey mind, which works. You can just use a, a mantra to to um, deal with impatience and restlessness by just reciting the mantra inwardly. But the mantra had a tranquilizing effect uh, physically and, and it had a great value on, on just that, on just recitation. But the emphasis Lumpur Cha was always making was knowing, being this witness, this knowing that it's like this. And so one would have insights very quickly, I found, through this kind of practice. Because, uh, you know, I, being somewhat of an idealist by my social, cultural conditioning, you know, I tend to idolize situations, idolize Lumpur Cha, idolize Thai forest tradition, idolized Wat Bapong, 
in terms of always and during the first year just just uh, believing it was the, the right way the best way and uh, I must surrender to it my idea of self-surrender of, hum of humility of humbling myself were ideals that I valued and cherished and hoped to develop in this life but they and so one would when one was attached to such fine ideals then when you feel the opposite when you feel anger hatred resentment uh, and resistance and rebellion these are not ideals you know they don't fit into the ideal structure that I created uh, in my uh, tendency to project ideals onto the, the monastery, the monks, the teacher I was with. So Lungkwacha's advice, the puto, of being the knowing, the witness of the present situation, putting it in the terms of it's like this, rather than than uh, trying to to uh, suppress my feelings or get caught in guilt or feeling I can't do it. Even although these these kind of reactions would happen, I feel guilty, I feel I'm not a very good monk, I feel uh, I'd start blaming Lumpacha or the monks I was living with. Oh, they would go from one extreme to kind of personal arrogance to just feeling worthless, but these are all states of mind that, that we witness to, you observe, they arise and cease. So during that first year that I lived with Lumpacha, I could, even though I missed out on understanding the profound desanas, the teachings uh, that Lumpacha was was very capable of giving to everyone else. I found just this simple teaching of Puto very important, very valuable way of dealing with the, the emotional reactions that I had to experience living within a, a designated structure. So this Vinaya, as Lumpacha called it, was was about action and speech, it's not about mental states. So this is, you know, this is a very important realization for me about morality because in the, my cultural background, which was Christian, uh, sin was also mental and, and about thoughts and mental states. <clears throat> so, I found the, the moral requirements of the Vinaya impossible to live with because it was just about action and speech. And I could, I felt I had some reasonable control over that. I could choose to restrain myself and live within the structure that was available within this very traditional form. This is a very ancient Buddhist tradition. And Rungpo Cha's reference to it was always from the, from the Vinaya uh, in the scriptures. So he was well researched and had 
you know, first-hand knowledge of, of the actual traditional structure of Vinaya, which I trusted. But it was all possible to deal with, just to restrain myself in regard to speech and in regard to physical movements and actions, um, and to live within the the Thai system of social etiquette, monastic etiquette, that was very much uh, a part of the training. So it gave me a, a lifestyle, a way of living, in which morally it was quite impeccable, you know, in terms of action and speech. And and before I'd been living, you know, as a layman, uh, in a very kind of modern time in Berkeley, California, University of California, where it was all about following your your desires, and there were no kind of polite restrictions. Uh, you know, it was the free. Freedom of Speech Movement, 1962 in Berkeley, and and all the kind of emphasis on experience everything, you know, don't be afraid of anything, whatever you think, whatever you feel, express it openly, and, and don't, you know, it was kind of freedom on one level of action and speech with no, no kind of encouragement to restrain oneself in any way. In fact, it was discouraged to going from that kind of life of total promiscuous freedom to the most conservative tradition probably existing on the planet. So I had a lot to reflect upon because the, the habit formations, the the, the the ego was very much involved with sense of personal importance and personal freedom and rights and and uh, this this high sense of self-importance and all this was you know would come up in my relationship to Lumpochon to the other monks to the lay people that supported us but the the thing that, that really was very moving, I found, was how well-supported uh, Buddhist monks are in Thailand. And uh, because you give up your rights to hold money and uh, you can't dig in the soil, you can't grow your own food, you have to depend on alms food every day, so you go out on what they call Bindabad, to, with your alms bowl to villages where they they put food into your alms bowl. And it was very moving to live in a society that did that, because every day there was uh, plenty of food and, and uh, freely given, you know, with great respect. And then being the only Western monk that first year, you know, people felt enormous kind of interest. Why would an American, you know, of my age, ordain as a Buddhist monk in the most strict monastery in Thailand was a common question 
asked. And um, the answer I'd always give was because of suffering. And that's true, you know, with all the freedom that, that I experienced in California, it didn't, you know, one still suffered enormously. It didn't, didn't bring any kind of self-respect. You began to feel worthless and life didn't have any meaning. Just following desires and, uh, and whatever those desires may be. And, uh, and it didn't, didn't make you feel any kind of self-respect or importance in your life, but you just felt there was, this is a, a kind of horrible way to live one's life, just following desires. So and my intuition was that I had to train in some kind of tradition that I couldn't control. I didn't, I just have to surrender to that, um, that didn't, that didn't give me the rights to make my own choices about action and speech. I had to surrender to, to this Vinaya structure and uh, the daily routine of, uh, that was designated at Wat Bapong. So that was on the, when I ordained, I didn't quite understand what I was getting into, but learning to live with Dung Cha, I began to appreciate this. It was exactly what I needed to, to live in a way that I was physically very harmless and couldn't follow desires. It lived a completely celibate life. And then the emphasis was on gratitude for, because you're depending on others for basic needs like food, you know, to, you feel this sense of gratitude because people, Thai people seem to be very keen, very eager to feed me, to, to support my practice of meditation, to support my life as a Buddhist monk. And here I was a complete stranger, couldn't speak their language very well, and uh, yeah, they had they gave me this incredible sense of respect and concern and care that I really wasn't expecting in any way from anyone. So I found living in Northeast Thailand in Ubon at that time very kind of emotionally moving because this gratitude is is very much the the foundation of the holy life. When one practices meditation just for oneself, you know, to get rid of your hang-ups and to find peace, you know, it, that's not a very firm foundation for real peace and freedom because it, it was still involved in so many um, feelings of, that you never investigate, of your own egotistical habit patterns and your assumptions that, you know, that come from cultural conditioning. The social conditioning I grew up in was, you know, it was uninvited, you just acquire it as uh, when you're a child, you just take what's given to you. 
And then in contrast to that, at 33, I was back in kind of infancy again, you know, learning to, to, to how to act, how to speak in ways that are harmless and inoffensive and polite and respectful. Not to, and how to deal with strong emotions like fear and anger and jealousy and, and uh, greed of all kinds, because all these emotions arise on the, on the, the designated core one, or the, what do you call that, the, the daily routine of the monastery, you know, you have only one meal a day. And so, you know, that was from someone who was used to having three meals a day. This was, you know, quite, you had to deal with this sense of being hungry and um, fear of losing your health and all kinds of emotional reactions. Because at first, uh, the food of Northeast Thailand at that time that I was getting wasn't wasn't particularly appealing to me. I had to learn to eat what I was given and watch they observe be the the pu the puto the witness to the emotional reactions I have to this diet to this kind of food. So during that first year, when people ask me. Uh, about how I survived, uh, my memories of that first year bring up this immense gratitude. Uh, I, I'm, I know I suffered a lot that first year, but it was the kind of suffering that you learn from. It wasn't just brutal, pointless suffering and just in a cold-hearted society or just being caught up in, in just following emotional reactions without reflection, without understanding. Because in that first year, there was plenty of strong emotions aroused. But to deal with emotions, you have to be very patient with them, accept them. You know, because you can't speak on them, so you can't swear or curse. You can't tell people off. You can't assert your your own opinion and shout at people. You know, there's all kinds of rules about speech in the, in the monastic minaya. And um, Thai etiquette is very, very polite, very refined compared to American so-called etiquette. You know, it's, it's quite challenging. And so, you know, one's emotions would, would arise, very strong feelings of anger and, and fear and wanting to leave, blaming others, all kinds of fault-finding uh, tendencies, critical mind reactions to, to the life there, comparing my life in the United States and California with life in Northeast Thailand. You know, the whole 
cultural conditioning of an American of my generation was reflected in those in that life that I lived because it would come up, you know, as mental states, as opinions, as as views that that I never questioned before till I had to see them in a different way. So this Puto way of practice is is being the observer, not the critic of it. So it's not a critical function, it's not about right and wrong anymore, but in terms of feeling, of emotion, of habit patterns that you've developed in your life, it's a witness to that. Because these are all conditions that you acquire after you're born. And puto, awareness, really means mindfulness, awareness, conscious awareness in the present moment. Lumpur Cha's emphasis was always on the present moment, being aware, because that's where we are, you know, for our whole life, and you reflect on it, there's only this present moment is our reality. And the future is uh, imagined, you know, so you, you imagine things in the future, you make plans, you might live the moment now for the future without realizing that. <clears throat> but the whole emphasis of Rumpacha's teaching was to be here and now, to be the puto, the witness to the way it is. And then the, the traditional restraint was just a helpful uh, container of actions and speech. Because with the sense of freedom and I can do what I want in individualism, then, you know, I have a right to, you know, tell people off or show aggression or, or you know, you feel, you know, stand up for yourself. Don't just be a puppet to, to others and, and in the total independence and self-importance is so emphasized in the American cultural conditioning where what I felt and how I felt about things, in my opinion, wasn't important in the tradition I was, I was involved in, in, in Thailand. So what do you do? You, you either have to leave, you know, because you, you know, you believe what your mind says, or you observe it. And so you observe this desire to leave or strong views you have about what's right or human rights or personal rights or any formal views, any form of views that you might be habituated toward or habituated to, you know, are seen. They're not criticized. They're not, you're not judging them as right or wrong, but on the on the level of restraint, you don't speak or act on them if they're not within the uh, allowed ways of action and speech within the traditional structure. So on this day, <clears throat> a birthday is always uh, 
in the West is always a celebratory experience. In Thailand, when I first went there, nobody celebrated Lung Po Chau's birthday. And birthdays were not celebrated. But now in modern day Thailand, they've been influenced by the West, that birthdays become very important celebration days uh, for all of us. The same here in the UK. And uh, just to remember with en enormous gratitude, this great teacher who, you know, really directed me, put up with me, trained me, and inspired me as a living example of how a human being can develop and within this human lifetime after birth and go out, get old and die. And that's just the, the natural movement of conditioned phenomena. And to begin to see through the, the identity that you have with birth, with the future death, you know, and how strong we have, you know, my birthday is still a very strong sense of self, you know, I began, I don't remember when I was born. I have no memories of being born. But I know I was, <laughs> because the result of birth is, you know, this form sitting here on this high seat, giving this Dharma reflection. So that form now is old, and death is, is not far off. But is, is this all life is about, is just to be born, grow up, get old and die, or is the, this opportunity that Lung Po Cha encouraged the real wonder of our human birth is that within between birth and between the death of the body is this awakening to the reality of Dhamma to be free from the limitations that all forms of conditioning have placed on us and to live in this sense of freedom and joy in the, in the reality of here and now. So I offer this for this auspicious day is a sense of gratitude for Lung Po Cha and his teaching and his kindness towards me personally.